Welcome to Social Anxiety Solutions, your journey to social confidence. My name is Sebastian van der Schrier, and I'm an ex-social anxiety disorder sufferer. Thanks to energy psychology and the help of some brilliant therapists, I've been able to become anxiety-free, and I'm relaxed and comfortable and at ease in social situations. Now, on this show, I interview experts Every now and then, used to be every week, we've moved to a a monthly format, and what we do is we explore different social anxiety solutions from both Western traditional psychology, as well as the new and emerging, exciting Eastern energy psychology, and and we'll put new tools into your toolkit each episode to enhance your social confidence. Now, today I'm interviewing Mary Ayers on the topic of feeling... I don't belong. Mary, before I continue, did I say that right? You did. Well done. (laughs) All right, good. Uh, A bit about Mary. Mary Ayers, PhD, has been in the human development field for over 22 years as a therapist, as a coach, workshop leader, speaker, and author. In the early years of her practice, she was primarily using talk therapy, and she specialized in working within a evidence-based, solution-focused philosophy. She's since learned TFT, thought field therapy, and then EFT, and also has been a coach with the Anthony Robbins companies for over five years, and now uses an evidence-based and solution-focused practice model together with EFT, and her clients are reporting amazing results. She says she feels honored to be a member of the progressive professionals that are combining traditional therapy coaching approaches with cutting-edge energy practices. Mary, thank you very much for being on the show. It is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hmm. Ex- exciting qualifications, uh, by the way. You know, Tony Robbins and uh, indeed the mix of you know a, a traditionally trained therapist and then with, with EFT on board. Yeah. I feel very fortunate to have had such an eclectic background. I think that, you know, um, how everybody is, you bring all of that to your current state and, and your uh, philosophies on life. So I've been really honored to have that journey. Mm, awesome. Um, well, we're talking today about the feeling, I don't belong. Uh, it's something I can personally relate to, and just about any person who suffers from social anxiety as well. Um, how about you, Mary? Can you relate to that? Have you, have you experienced it yourself? Oh, painfully so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't. You know, I really don't know how anybody can get through life without having experienced it. Um, And as we talk about this, you know, it's just our growth experience in society and any kind of group. Wanting to belong is such a core fundamental need that we have. Hmm. And, uh, you know, so it's and it's universal. It's really universal. It's across all cultures and across the world. And. Just by virtue of life, ups and downs and bumps and and the way it just evolves, you know, we've all had experiences with being excluded and not feeling uh, that we fit in. And so, you know, it's one of those things we need, but at the same time, it's also an experience we've all had. I, I don't know how anybody got through high school without having, you know, a, what I call an ouchy experience of am I in or am I out? you know, that feeling that I know everybody can relate to. Mm. Um, I, I, I like how you say it's a basic human need 
to feel like you belong. And I think for um, you know myself and uh, you know a lot of people with social anxiety, that feeling of I don't belong, and actually you know having that manifest in the outside world where you have long periods where you actually don't belong anywhere, and then feeling ashamed about that, and then even feeling ashamed for having the need to connect with people and not having any friends and feeling ashamed about your situation. Um, you know, I think, you know, yes, everyone can relate to it, but I think for most people with social anxiety, it's a feeling that they're, uh, let's just say, all too familiar with. And it, uh, it, it's, it's a recurring feeling for many people that uh, happens a bit more frequently than the average Joe and, I don't know, Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you're saying, it feeds it feeds the problem, right? Mm. You know, is that feeling of not fitting in, of worrying how I'll fit in, um, feeds that sense of isolation. Our, our senses to want to be unseen, to back off. It doesn't make us go forward. It doesn't say, well, let me try this out, you know. Yeah. Um, it makes us want to take cover. And then the more convinced we are, you know, that that excluding ourselves and isolating ourselves just it feeds the the ideas in our head that see this is true i don't fit in i have these thoughts this way of engaging i don't feel comfortable and you know this it's one of the things i remember um back when i was researching this originally there was a comment made by somebody is is that you know looks are deceiving we look out and see people and we see them in groups, we see them doing things, and we make the assumption that they are feeling belonging, you know, that they have it, that they're doing okay. And so then we compare ourselves like thinking, oh, that's not me, I couldn't do that. But I love the way it was said, it was, you know, looks are deceiving. And acquaintances, having people around you is not the equivalent of feeling belonging. Mm. They are not the same thing. And everybody knows that. They can be in a crowd, and we've all had this experience too, of being in a crowd, being with people, and still feeling that you don't belong. Right. And so, you know, just looking out at people and thinking, you know, we, we, we kind of judge, don't we, by looking at other people mm. that they're all together at that birthday party and we're thinking oh see they have that thing I want or they have the ease of what I want look at how well they feel they fit in but we really don't know that they feel belonging and that and that's very different mm. yep and and we should also remember is like everyone always tries to look good everyone always tries to you know uh, even if they're not having a good time everyone pretends to have a good time uh, you know, look at Facebook, right? Uh, I know people that are massively miser miserable, but when you look at their Facebook page, it looks like they're having the time of their life. That's, uh, isn't that also like a natural thing that, you know, hey, we don't want to, you know, uh, commit social suicide, so to speak. Uh, so isn't that, isn't that so true? Because we look and we go, wow, they have 567 friends. <laughs> You know, we think, whoa, they have all these people. Yeah. And, you know, we kind of think, oh, I have 
you know, three or five, or maybe people aren't even on Facebook, you know, that kind of feeling. But I agree. I think Facebook is created, they say, a whole new set of ways to manifest problems, uh, the way to feel not as included, mm. to feel that we're missing out, to, um, you know, the uh, are you familiar with the, the term FOMO? I, sad, the, sadly, I'm not. What is it? Well, I, I will tell you. <laughs> it is fear of missing out. Okay. And, you know, it's it's not as necessarily the sense of belonging, but I'm just saying is, is that, you know, you brought up the, the Facebook and how we have that. We see people looking like they're living lives that are happy and fulfilling, and that is a big piece of belonging. It's really a sense of feeling that life has purpose, that we're, that we're connected, that gives us a life has meaningful feeling. And so... That's a good example of what Facebook is kind of creating, this new sense of we look out and we see people and it looks like they have meaningful lives, they have connections, and we are missing out. We don't have that. Mm -hmm. So again, you know, that kind of when we talk about um, social anxiety, you know, that that need to withdraw, to isolate, to pull back, not just the the anxious part of it, but also the reaction to it, the pulling back, Facebook has a way of really feeding that. Mm. Where, where, um, where do you think the, the feeling comes from? This feeling of lack of belonging? Yeah, the feeling like, oh, I, I, I don't belong. You know, it's so funny because it's one of those questions you can ask, well, how do people get the feeling? And then just, you know, how is, how is it that you don't get it? First off, I think that, you know, our sense of belonging when we were talking it, about is a fundamental need, just as basic as um, survival, right? Physical survival. We are born helpless. We need to have that sense of being cared for, being connected, that we won't be left behind because it equates to, you know, you won't survive mm. if you don't do that. And so, you know, we can we could point to, you know, some of the social theories are really interesting because, you know, they can point to, of course, you know, how attentive was your mother, uh, those early attachment relationships. And there's a lot of validity to that is how how primary do we feel? Do we feel safe growing up? up. And as a mother and a mother of three, you know, I can even look back on that and think to myself, geez, you know, were there times where hmm. be it by somebody else's one other child's needs took more, um, you know, primary need as opposed to somebody else's that even the even the benign stuff can leave you feeling a little of a sense of aloneness. But, you know, just the whole experience of growing up really can also affect that. You know, am I okay? Am I too much? Um, if I'm bad, we feel that sense of withdrawal from our parents. And what happens, right? You get, sometimes if you're being punished, it might be separation yeah. from the family for what you did. And, you know, we're young. We're trying to make sense out of the world. We're making statements like, you know, is it okay for me to be me? Am I acceptable for being me? Um, there's repercussions for doing the things I do that are just basic because of who I am. And then we are, our social environment starts to expand, right? We have school. And school gives you a lot of feedback, too, about whether or not you are going to be accepted 
and not accepted and your behaviors and who you are and how loud you are and how much you fidget and you know think of all the things we're just kind of be that are part of our humanness that we start getting feedback on about what's acceptable what's not and in return we start looking at the world with a filter of whom do I need to be to be accepted and to be included that's not the same as belonging it now we're just kind of getting almost primal in the sense of to be able to be accepted into the group to be able to stay alive mm. and you know one of the things we talk about right is we all have past experiences of what it felt like to be excluded and it's painful i'm this this is a um i remember reading this it was so it made it so it brought it home to me let me say it this way it brought it home to me and it was a say it said the psychological pain caused by social rejection is so intense that it involves the same brain regions involved in the experience of physical pain mm. now that that's pretty heavy duty you know that's the kind of pain that will stay with you right something that is so psychologically painful that we physically feel that and have you had can you relate to that experience you know have can you think of things where you know that has been that way for you i can yeah, <laughs> i just plenty. don't want to stand alone here can you think of it too yeah, yeah no yeah plenty and and even to go into what you're saying i remember that what you just brought up uh, as well and i think uh, it was even more specific if i remember correctly it's like this this thing of social rejection could be <laughs> compared to like being poked in the eye, <laughs> like like not just like a little slap, like a poke in the eye, like a proper, real real bugger pain, you know, and yeah. and uh, yeah, a sense of not belonging, very much so. And as you're um, explaining as to where it might be coming from, um, you know, not in in the end, not being safe to be yourself as you're growing up and not really accepting yourself. And then from that place of non-acceptance, kind of, you know, you're searching for ways to kind of belong and, okay, maybe if I behave in this way and maybe if I'm cooler in that way, and then, you know, you're, you're trying to, to be cool enough to be, to belong somewhere. Um, for me personally, uh, I didn't, there were like, two popular groups in the Netherlands um, <clears throat> that, uh, you know, that, that were popular, so to speak. And there was the, the skaters, you know, the guys into skateboarding and that kind of stuff. And then uh, the gabbers, which were people that were into drugs and, you know, hardcore music and, you know, parties and all sorts of other stuff. And I was more drawn to the gabber stuff because I liked the music and I was interested in the drugs very early on. Uh, and uh, but I didn't want to be associated with them, and I also didn't want to be associated with the others. And I kind of felt like I was dipping into different worlds, but didn't really feel I belonged to anywhere. I was like, yeah, well, I'm I'm hanging out with these groups, uh, with this kind of group, but I'm not really a gabber, right? <laughs> so don't don't box me in here. And um, you know, at at football even, um, you know, I'm. Almost a bit ashamed to say this, but I'm the star player, and uh, uh, I, I I wasn't a team player. 
right? I was, I was just, I didn't really feel I belonged anywhere. And I was really, um, I was very arrogant and in that way kind of ex- excluded myself from, from the rest. And uh, for me, it was very much as well as like, uh, hey, I don't need anyone and uh, everyone can just fuck off. I'm fine with myself and, uh, you know, it wasn't a good place, let's just say. I, I, you know, sometimes I used to laugh. I go, between junior high and high school, you know, if we could all skip some of that stuff, we wouldn't have so much stuff to correct. Yeah. And whatnot. Because it's funny, as you were talking, I'm thinking to myself, well, we could have gone very close to schools next door, even though I wasn't in the Netherlands. I was in California. And we had the surfers, the jocks, um, the smokers, that's what we called them, you know, mm. back then <laughs> was, and you know, there were probably the theater group and the chess group, you know, you had all of those, mm. those different identities, different pockets of where people found that sense of belonging. And it's, it's an interesting phenomenon because I, like you actually, I really can relate to that there. I knew the groups, you know, I might've participated with individual groups uh, bits bits here and there, but never felt the full affiliation. I am that, mm. you, you know, that uh, that's real affiliation. And in return, I mean, in some ways, there's a little bit of healthy side to that because I think especially in our teen years, even though we're thinking that we're being highly individualistic, right, which basically means I'm not my parents, um, what we end up doing is over- associating to our peer groups and being like them. And so we think that in order to be part of that group, we have to be the same as them. And, you know, they make all those teen movies that they make now, you know, where the in group, the out group, you know, your which group gets status and which group doesn't. And I mean, they still feed off that. It's all a depiction of how that experience is for us and how you don't feel like you really fit in because I don't want to I don't want to assume the full identity. Reminds me of like that, um, remember that movie, you know, Man Without a Country? You know, it's like, where do I belong? And yet, it's, it it is, it's got such strong ramifications, that feeling of where do I belong? It's like a question. And, and you're right, we, we put on the false mask of, um, I have to hide certain parts of myself to belong to this group and other parts of myself to belong to this group. And so after a while, you know, what's, what's our true self and all those beliefs that I won't be accepted for who I am. And so we hide that. We keep it. And I think a big piece of social anxiety is the fear that will be found out, will be you know, and and found lacking on top of it, and that we will feel the rejection. I really was surprised. I I mean, I understood rejection. Don't don't get me wrong. I I understood that rejection was painful. But again, reading that, that the pain can be the equivalent, that it lights up the brain, the equivalency of physical pain, it made me really take it to my understanding to a different level of how we want to avoid that. Mm. You know, embarrassment is one thing. Maybe, you know, those th- we can think of some things that we're like, yeah, I'm not big on that feeling. But there was a intensity around the perception of, you know, the, 
the fear and concern about being rejected that could be physically quaking, right? You know, that, that we get the, the, the true physical reaction mm-hmm. to go into a, a, a social situation. And some people might muscle through it and get themselves through it and dread it. Um, other people just plain old won't do it. Yeah. You know, but now I have a greater appreciation of the why, the understanding of the physicality of the feeling, not mm. just the mental, but the actual physical experience of the rejection. Yeah, it's 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 painful, but it's often all <clears throat> for me. Uh, a big thing was, um, yeah, the rejection and the pain was one thing. But the humiliation of being seen rejected, you know, that someone would see me be oh. rejected or that, you know, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I'm, I'm now someone who is rejected, someone who no longer uh, has the certain status or popularity that I was hoping that other people would think I have in their eyes. And so it was kind of like a you know, a double, double problem, if you will. It's not, yeah. o- not only is there the pain of rejection, but there's the massive shame that comes as a result of it. And for me, that, that was, you know, maybe as big of a problem, if not bigger than the rejection itself. Yeah, I can see that, you know, almost kind of like it was getting witnessed. You know, yeah. if somebody else knew it, then they knew that about you. Yes, yeah. Um, and that, and... So, you know, our response is to so want to stay hidden, to keep safe. And yet we're that need to stay safe by keeping ourselves safe by being hidden is becomes in conflict with our need to feel fulfilled and end this connection. That's what we struggle with is, yeah. is that we've got two kinds of things yeah. going on. And I can't figure out how to get my need for affiliation and acceptance and, and part of it's really a part of, you know, it's less about I'm accepted. It's about being seen and being okay with who I am, not because I'm the same as you, but because you can appreciate who I am even different than you. Mm. Yep. And because it's not about the sameness, but we still feel it. I think those early experiences with groups and, you know, it's funny, even as I say that, I think to myself, that's not so true. We still see that kind of uh, inclusion, exclusion very much in our adult life. I, I, I live in Colorado. <clears throat> we have the Broncos here. I go, <laughs> right? <laughs> you walk around with the Bronco jersey, you see somebody else with the Bronco jersey, you know, you give them the high five kind of thing. You're <laughs> like, look, look at us. We are in this, we are in the same group, <laughs> you know? Um, and we have that, you know, somebody wears the opposing teams. They've got a, you know, whatever, you know, Steelers shirt on, you know, and you look at me and go, Ugh. You know, you're not on my team. Mm. So we still do it. You know, um, mm. it, it, we may not feel uh, such a sense of, of rejection or exclusion because we're not accepted by the Steeler team because we have our team. Mm. We're part of something. But how do we balance? What we're kind of saying is how do we balance this sense of protecting ourselves or at least from the... You know, I want to belong, but I don't feel safe doing that. How do we balance that? And for me, that's because it's such a physical component. That's why I really enjoy, you know, when we were talking about the the EFT, the tapping, 
plays a big part in that. I think that it's in a way that can help people move forward, uh, take chances, um, you know, maybe to have some of that richness of life, finding a way to feel part of something and come to their own sense of feeling that I am okay no matter where I am, you know, in any group, that I am still okay. Mm. They're, they're stretching ideas, but I, I see the hope for it. I see the it as a tool that can really help us to bridge into that, break, break out of the seclusion. Yeah, the, the cycle. And isolation. Yeah, the cycle yeah. of I feel I don't belong and, you know, I, I feel lonely, but I'm too afraid to reach out because I, I don't feel safe, uh, you know, being being myself. And even reaching out to make a contact and putting myself in such a vulnerable spot saying, hey, um, I... <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm, I'm new here and I don't have that many friends, uh, you know, like putting yourself in a vulnerable spot and reaching out when you're not feeling too great, you know, when you're not feeling confident about yourself is, you know, very, very, very difficult to do. And then uh, I like what you say, and I completely agree, EFT can then help you to uh, feel more secure in making those steps forward and breaking that that cycle of I feel that I don't belong, therefore I'm not taking action, and as a result I feel more lonely and I have more evidence that I don't feel that, that I don't belong anywhere and so on and so forth. Yeah, I, I'd like to, if I can, take a second to to add two more pieces because I think this is important and I really want to kind of build the case a right. little bit. Is because there's there's something else that happens. It's, you know, when we isolate like that, when we withdraw, and I know that it's to protect us. It's a solution that our mind has come up to protect us, and now we're we're dealing with the um, the solution has become the problem. That's what's happened <laughs> because now I've done this to protect myself, but now it's the thing that's keeping me from feeling that life has some meaning, that I'm engaging with it, that I can fit in and feel fit in safely, and um, because they know that it mental health as well as physical health is greatly affected by how we feel, right? And when we're isolated, we're actually affecting our physical health, not just, you know, our mental health and our physical health. And I don't know necessarily that people have made that connection that it that it does have a ramification. It does have consequences to us physically, this withdrawal. Um, and secondarily, I want you know I, I started thinking we've had a couple of big shootings in Colorado. I'm sure people you know across the world have heard that. It just travels by news. And again, thinking to myself, there there was a <clears throat> again a statement made that research shows that even a single a single instance of exclusion can affect people so so greatly. I mean, a single one. Not, we're not talk, talking about, you know, multiple cases. We're talking about that kind of thing where, you know, there's an act of violence, right? Something happens and somebody kind of comes back and gets very violent. You know, there's some speculation and some, you know, idea that what happened? You know, did this person kind of, did it? Did they feel really outcasted? Did they have that experience of ex- exclusion? And then it you know, produce this kind, you know, the reaction to um, 
protect or to retaliate or to hurt others, you know, as one has been hurt. And so I kind of, it, it kind of rose in me this sense of, you know, our work that we're doing on helping ourselves get past some of our fears of maybe reaching out could have larger ramifications within society, um, you know, so that we feel more included and that maybe we know them can indeed help others, you know, eventually. I know this is a, I'm a big, I'm a big thinker. I'm a big dreamer. I'm not talking about the small end of things. You right, know, I'm happy right, to have right, yeah. somebody feel good, but I think to myself, you know, gosh, darn, if we can start to look at things a little differently and have ways to be able to not have to feel, um, you know, that we can't be included and, and, worry about being rejected that it might have greater a greater impact within our humanity you know maybe that's maybe that's part of the bigger picture uh, absolutely i mean yeah tapping and these other kind of things i think should be taught in school for sure and uh Oh, you know, yeah. ima- imagine if you get self-improvement class when you're younger and you actually learn how your brain works and how you can <laughs> manage your emotions and that would be fantastic. And I, 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 we both know that there are projects going on like this, um, but, you know, it might take a bit before it actually starts to grow. But uh, yeah. yeah, however, the value is, is that more and more adults are learning it and they have kids. Yeah. You know, so even if it's not going to be well accepted just yet within the maybe the school system, I have my sister-in-law teaches second grade and um, she's asked me several times, you know, what can I do? This kid's got this, you know, what's happening and and, you know, how can I bring it? I can't bring it full board, the tapping in because, you know, the, the school, the principal, you know, different things like that. But we've talked about some softer ways to kind of come in and and do some things while working with the kids and whatnot. And I love that, Mm. you know, so she's kind of, yeah, it's not full blown, but, you know, just being able to help help one child help to stabilize themselves, help to feel better about themselves, you know, whatnot. Mm. Here's a perfect example. This kid's a little hyperactive and you know what happens. Every other kid in the, the classroom starts to feel, I don't want to be by them. You know, they're disruptive to me and whatnot. And see how even that early, there's the sense of, oh, there's you're over here and I'm in this group and I, I don't want to be near you. I don't want to be associated with you. And I, and how that really can impact a kid. It's second grade. What is that? Seven years old? Yeah. You know, so it starts so early on. And uh, she was able to give him a few little skills that kind of helped him to stop to start calming down and actually byproduct she wasn't even thinking that this would happen is is that the other kids started to approach him more often Mm. they were able to kind of get close to him not not close like we're buddies but you know i mean in the talking to him or playing next to him or sitting next to him instead of going oh i don't want to sit next to him you know they they felt more comfortable doing that and i'm thinking to myself wow you know knowing what we just talked about you know, he may get reinforced that he can start to feel more comfortable. He doesn't feel so much exclusion that's going to come out, not always as reclusiveness, but, you know, sometimes it comes out violently, but he's learning, you know, and the other kids, he's having a different experience. Mm-hmm. Mary, um, when when someone comes to you and 
let's just say <laughs> that they actually say, hi, Mary, uh, well, hi, person, hi, uh, Julie, uh, what's the problem? And Julie says, oh, Mary, I just don't feel I belong. What the... What would happen? Like, how, how would you go about addressing this? Or can you, can you give people that are listening uh, maybe a bit of an, an insight as to what might happen? That's a great question because, first of all, I think that, um, you know, most people will feel like you've been talking about, you know, is that they've, uh, they've already gone to a little bit of seclusion, you know, pulling back and saying, you know, I'm just uncomfortable out there. They may not even recognize. They may say things like, I don't feel like I fit in. You know, I feel like I'm an alien. I feel like I'm a square and a round, you know, all those mm. kinds of things, mm. you know. And one of the very first things I, I like people to explore, and I think where I tap on with people a lot is just in their conviction of differentness. I'm not like other people. And I understand that we have amassed a great deal of evidence in our lifetime that says, yeah, see, I'm, this is true. I'm not making it up. I'm not telling you a story. I'm telling you I am different. Look at all these experiences I've had in my life that, that point this out to me. Okay. So when we have a conviction of anything, whether it's a conviction we're a procrastinator or that we're, you know, that we always struggle with our weight, it doesn't matter, it's a conviction. This is how it is. First off, it's really hard to change that because there's no room for it. In other words, if I am this, how can I be the other? If I am different, then by the way we set ourselves up psychologically, there's no room for us to be like something. So even we need some wiggle, I call it kind of wiggle room around that, this whole sense of differentness. I am different. I absolutely am different. And so when I say I'm tapping on that is just the conviction, right? This is my belief. Because how am I going to be anything else if there's no room for it? Does that make sense? Mm, makes total sense. Yeah. Um. Okay. And again, I say this for anything, anybody who's going, well, I am this, I am that, I go, you know, if you want to be something else, it's really hard to be something else as long as you're absolutely saying, I am this way. Yeah. So we, we play with that. And when I, I say that, it's because you need the wiggle room of the possibility. Am I going to let in another idea of who I could be? Identity is such a strong force in our nature you know so the idea of that i i have to leave room for my identity to shift am i willing to do that can i leave some space for it can i get curious about the idea of being something else and all it means i only want us to get to a place of curiosity because from curiosity you'll explore what's possible you know it doesn't mean you have to you're not committed but it does mean that it's going to give you a, an openness within the mind a space for you to be able to explore something else yeah. because what i'll find is sometimes is behind that we've taken this what i call like a blanket statement like see i just i'm different and we're using it to protect us from other things that's the things behind the mask all the the concerns you know that i won't fit in um, that I'm not as smart as other people, that I'm not as talented as other people, that I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Right? All of those fears we have that I'm going to say something stupid. And then we can take those apart and we, we work on those fears. And, of course, a lot of those 
come from some past event. What happened when? Well, where was the time that that actually happened where you had such a, you know, this feeling of I did say something stupid or I was pointed out in public, right? Somebody said to me, look, you have a big old stain on your boob mm-hmm. and, you know, and, you're, and everybody looks at you and you cringe and, you know, you feel, oh, my gosh, you know, it doesn't feel safe to be seen. Never want that to happen again. That's, we can work on those individual events that have happened where we're still carrying the trauma of it. And that is behind this blanket statement of I'm different. It's like, well, I'm being protected so I don't have this experience or that experience again. And um, the, the fear of being found out, looking stupid. And so, you know, that... And the tapping comes in handy here because it's not an intellectual journey. It's not just a knowing. It's helping my body let go of whatever old traumas there are so that it can be more curious. And so we work on that way, you know, from the past events. But I'm also big on using the tapping for future events. I think this is so beneficial. It's because everything we've just talked about is our mind has has already made images of what could the possibility in the future, right? Well, I'm sitting in the safety of my home and I'm contemplating going out there and I, I make the best, I could put Stephen King to shame with the kind of movies we could make, right, in our mind about the possibility of the terrible things that could happen to us. And since our mind already plays them out, we say, never mind, I'm not going to leave the house because that's the potential out there. But we can use the tapping to be able to tap for future events that would give us more wiggle room to try on some things and, and experience maybe a different outcome. And so then we, you know, by taking that baby step, we start to build a new repertoire of events and evidence of a different, a different life, a different world, a different possibility. Mm-hmm. Great, um, Mary. Would you be able to, um, you know, guide people through a, a tapping experience? Oh, it would be my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, awesome. <laughs> Let's do it. I would love to do that. You know, and because I said this differentness is is a big one. You know, mm. um, we may have lots of reason, and I'm going to throw those in. I'm going to throw them into the tapping. This is the way I. I do my tapping is that um, so we're, we're going to plant those. I call it kind of planting seeds. And a little bit of that is to get past like that big statement so that we can actually start to contemplate these things that other things we might work on, being able to look at what they might be. So if everybody just as we've been talking about this, you know, you've got your own sense of things. And I want you to just ask yourself this conviction of differentness, you know. I am different. I'm not like them. However, you have been saying it for as many years as you can remember ever saying it, you know, how you say it, just bring that to mind and feel the truth in that statement. We're going to kind of measure the truth of it. Sebastian, would you mind, uh, you know, play along with me sure. here? And you know what? If you can identify this, you know, did you identify a statement? That maybe, you know, whether or not it's very true, it might not be so true now because you've done so much work, mm-hmm. but one that you might have used before or one that comes to you. Yeah, I'm not like them. Okay. 
All right. And when and truth, and again, I'm going to give you the benefit of the fact that you've been working for it so long. Um, how true does that feel now? It feels about a three. Okay. No, but can not, you remember when that. that actually feels like a three? <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> I'm getting some benefit out of this. This is good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so if 10 was absolutely positively true, it feels like a 3. Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay, so can you imagine a, a several years ago, right, if you had made that statement, how true oh, would have it have felt yeah, then? 10. Okay. Everybody's going, I, I would get to, to shine the spotlight here of going, look at the value of work, right? Not overnight work, right, especially not overnight work. Definitely not. But ongoing work. Mm-hmm. This is the difference it can make. All right. So the sticking with it. So even though you're a three, we're going to start with this. And um, does your group pretty much know the the uh, points? Yeah. Sebastian, would you prefer me to go through them? Nope. We're good. Uh, I know it. Okay. So we're going to start on the karate chop, and and of course you'll be my uh, echo. But everybody think of how that conviction, how true it feels for them. And at the karate chop, even though, even though, I am absolutely convinced. <clears throat> I'm absolutely convinced that I'm not like them. That I'm not like them. I'm different. I'm different. That's just how it is. That's just how it is. And there's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing I can do about it. Because it's a fact. Because it's a fact. But I'm willing to accept myself right now. But I'm willing to accept myself right now. Even though I don't fit in. Even though I don't fit in. I don't belong. I don't belong. Because I'm different. Because I'm different. I'm not like them. I'm not like them. I'm just going to start. I'm just going to start. By accepting myself. By accepting myself. Right where I am now. Right where I am now. Even though I'm absolutely convinced. Even though I'm absolutely convinced. I'm right. I'm right. Because I'm an expert on me. Because I'm an expert on me. And I know I'm different. And I know I'm different. I can feel it in every part of my body. I can feel it in every part of my body. That I'm not like them. That I'm not like them. That I don't fit in. That I don't fit in. And I'm still willing. And I'm still willing. To accept myself right now. To accept myself right now. No matter what. No matter what. And we'll go to the eyebrow. I'm just not like them. I'm just not like them. Side of the eye, I don't fit in. I don't fit in. Under the eye, it's a fact. It's a fact. Under the nose, it is a known fact. It is a known fact. On the chin, and I have tons of evidence. And I have tons of evidence. Collarbone, that tells me I'm right. That tells me I'm right. Under the arm, that I'm right in this conclusion. That I'm right in this conclusion. Top of the head, excuse me, top of the head. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. Back at the eyebrow. And you can't undo that. You can't undo that. Side of the eye. You can't unknow that. You can't unknow that. Under the eye. Maybe. Maybe. Under the nose. But what if? But what if? On the chin. I could break it up a little bit. I could break it up a little bit. Collarbone. I could question it. I could question it. Under the arm. Because even though up till now. Because even though up till now. Top of the head. It's been a fact. It's been a fact. Back at the eyebrow. And I have the evidence to prove it. And I have the evidence to prove it. Side of the eye. What if it was possible? 
What if it was possible? Underneath the eye to change that moving forward. To change that moving forward. Under the nose, and even if I don't know how to do that yet. And even if I don't know how to do that yet. On the chin, what if I could get curious? What if I could get curious? Collarbone, about the possibility of it. About the possibility of it. Underneath the arm, this idea of not being different. This idea of not being different. Top of the head doesn't mean I'd be the same. Doesn't mean I'd be the same. Back at the eyebrow, but I wonder what it would be. But I wonder what it would be. Side of the eye, I wonder if it would be accepting myself. I wonder if it'd be accepting myself. Underneath the eye, and all my funny glitches. And all my funny glitches. Underneath the nose, because I know which ones I'm thinking of. Because I know which ones I'm thinking of. Chin. They are odd. They are odd. On the collarbone. But they're mine. But they're mine. Underneath the arm. And what if I could start? And what if I could start? Top of the head with a small appreciation. With a small appreciation. Back at the eyebrow of just myself. Of just myself. Side of the eye, where I am. Where I am. Underneath the eye, maybe I'm not so different after all. Maybe I'm not so different after all. Underneath the nose, and maybe that's okay. And maybe that's okay. On the chin, I think I'm going to work on this maybe part. I'm thinking I'm going to work on this maybe part. Collarbone, I'm leaving room for maybe. I'm leaving room for maybe. Underneath the arm, about this different stance. About this different stance. Top of the head. I'm just going to leave a little room around it. I'm just going to leave a little room around it. And everybody take a breath. And go back. Look at your statement about your differentness. And just, again, measure it from a standpoint of truth. How true does it feel? What did you come up with, Sebastian? I wonder what my statement was. Was it was it I'm different than them or I I'm not I'm not like them. All right. I'm not like them. Yeah, it doesn't feel true anymore and uh, for for people listening as well, um you might find yourself yawning as I was doing, but you know, I had to kind of repeat it so I couldn't keep yawning properly. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to talk and yawn at the same time, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> and uh, um can you explain to them what that is, uh, Mary? Absolutely. It is a release of energy. It's almost fun because when we are holding energetically, it's like we're holding our breath and we're releasing. We're like just letting go a little bit. There's parts of us that's just letting go. And it often can come across as a big yawn. It can come across as energy. Um, it can come across as tears. Hmm. And that is just a, a, a releasing within our body from the, from the energy that we've been holding on to around an idea and around an event. You know, even though we don't point to event with this, our subconscious mind is doing its little job. And I'll say this, there may be people as we went through this who started to get, you know, some memories, maybe a couple of things floated up in in front of their mind of different times, different things that had happened in their life. Um, Evidences, well, I'm remembering that, I remember that. That is our subconscious that has been holding on to these little times where of events that have validated our concerns and times where we felt we didn't belong. Um, I believe that when that happens, we get this little montage of 
like little movie of, of different things can happen for people that we are releasing a little bit of energy out of them. We may not be completely deflating that single event, but I do believe that we are taking some of it off every time we do that, even though it's kind of global. Mm. We're still making a dent. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Great. Thank you for that. That was good. Okay. So, but I, what I want to say, because for you it was different. You couldn't even remember the statement. I love that. You know, such evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, but if some, let's say somebody was at a conviction of a ten, and they got maybe they'd say now, well, maybe I'm just a nine or an eight. You know, it's like I still have a pretty high conviction. What I want to let them know is absolutely, absolutely, it would be very difficult for you to go from a ten to a two. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> just I, I. We would all be stunned. If you went from a 10 to a 2 on that, okay? But change is happening, even if it's from a 10 to a 9. It is a loosening. It's a little bit more room. And even though the conviction's still strong, it's it, you're st- it's like, you know, like when you're tightening a, an old rusted screw, you know, or a bolt on something, you know, it's like, wow, there's just this tiny bit of movement there. And... The idea would be is, is that you keep tapping on these kinds of things. You open it up and release more and more, and it will give you more options in life. It is what it does. It gives you more choices, more freedom yeah. about how to find other tools or other ways of looking at life. Especially, would you say that, I mean, you know, I don't know how you explain it to, to your clients, but that's how I see it. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out exactly. You know, if you start out with a 10 and you go to a 9, you're like, oh, man, you know, still have the problem. Man, this 2 doesn't work for me. No, it's not the case at all. And, and you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and, and, yeah, indeed, you need to keep tapping. And I, I'm, 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 I think exactly the same thing as, as you're saying, uh, Mary, with, yeah, we touch upon it. And sometimes you're actually lucky. <laughs> Sometimes you, you do start out in a high number and a couple of rounds of tapping, you do bring it down all the way to a really low number or to something that doesn't even feel true to you anymore. But that's not typically the norm for something um, as pervasive or um, big as a, a sense of I don't belong or I'm different. Because something like that typically has... In EFT, they call uh, they call it it has a supporting evidence. You know, uh, Gary Craig, the founder, explained it as a, as a tabletop. When you imagine a table, uh, tabletop, and the tabletop is I don't belong. You know, there the the legs that are supporting the table. They have you know experiences that serve as evidence that support that that table or that belief or that conviction that that you don't belong or that overall feeling. And, you know, you, you need to start addressing those specific experiences where you learn that. And as you do that bit by bit and you persist and you get the help where you need, that will start to feel less and less strong. And uh, you know, eventually it, it doesn't feel true anymore. And that's when you get the freedom or rather that's when it becomes, you know, very, very easy to actually, um, you know, reach out and you know make friends connect more and so on and i i'm not saying that you should wait all the way until you have fixed that completely but uh you know that that's you know that's how i end this 
<laughs> sentence. Yeah. Well, well said. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm a bit tired. Yeah, late evening. <laughs> yeah, um, Mary. Um, if if there was something I could have asked you that would have allowed you to share something important, what would it have been, and how would you have answered it? You know, I think the one thing that I, I think I'd like to leave people with is because I I think that when we have hope, um, we might be willing, more willing to try something. Mm-hmm. And even if that's why, you know, this commentary we just had about some change, some movement, what I would hope that it would inspire would just be the niggling of, of hope, of potential of being able to see not what this is going to do if I tap for this whole week, because I'm going to, you know, you could go back and forth, you know, that some days you're going to feel like this. Some, you know, you're, it's going to be a little higher. Your truth, truth conviction is going to be a little bit, you know, I don't feel like it today, you know, so it's not a static thing that we feel this way. We kind of toggle back and forth to feeling better, not feeling as great some days and whatnot. But the idea that that you can change that whole range from being up in the nines and the tens to, you know, starting to reset that, recalibrate that into, you know, threes to fives and maybe, you know, all the way down to where I feel absolutely comfortable. I have moments of having that experience. And then other days, you know, maybe an event or something like that, I start to question it. I feel a little bit of it. The hope over time is what I would want to, you know, instill in people. You and I have both done this work on ourselves, mind you, not just in with working with other people, but on ourselves for a great deal of time, you know, years. And I'm still, I'm still working on it. I'm still doing it. You know, it's not gone away. I'm not walking around now freely going, oh my God, I belong everywhere. Um, you know, but it, it has allowed life to, to be so much bigger and fuller, but it's hanging in there. It's it's willing to do it. And I say to my clients, and I'll say to people, is that you know, it's where will you be two years from now? It's if I was to do this over time, where do I get to be two years from now? And how different will my life going forward be by just taking these small steps, being able to celebrate them and continue them. And that is what excites me is the potential for people. They're just, you know, to, to have a hope in that 10 to a nine and know that, you know, two years from now, it could be a three. Mm. They could yeah. be, they could be like you, they could have their own show. Social <laughs> <laughs> mean, anxiety solutions all over the place. Yeah. And, and what I'd like to add to that is it keeps getting better, you know, uh, you know, once you, when when you start doing this this work, it keeps deepening, and you know your heart goes open wider, if you will. There's more depth to things. You experience things on a uh, on a, on a nicer level. Like it's, I'm, I'm not my most articulate today, but it's, <laughs> what I'm saying is it's great. <laughs> you know? But wouldn't you say that's true? You know, it it it, it it's an, you never get it done basically but that's not a bad thing that's a good thing because it keeps getting better and uh mary i i um i want to thank you very much for um 
for your time and uh, exactly, I think you've you've helped people uh, today um, that may have started out hopeless, and I um, I hope that they moved into hopeful, and that's a big shift to make. Even though that might not bring you all the way to where you want to be, moving that that bit emotionally is huge because from a place of hopeful, you're actually going to take some action, and uh, that action is going to give you some results, which then you're happy about and you want more of and you're going to take some more action you're going to get more results tony robbins 101 <laughs> <laughs> life 101 right he just right, said it exactly. well yeah yeah okay. nice um mary thank you very much where can uh, people find out more about you um my website which is www.tapintoaction.com and um, I do a radio show, and it is on my blog, so you can access that and listen to my shows. And um, you know, there's a way to contact me at Mary at tapintoaction.com as well. And what's the name of your radio show? So is it on iTunes? It is. It. Uh, you know what? That's a good question. <laughs> um, that's so I put it on my blog. It's on EFT. Uh, radio online. That okay. you can also find it there. Mm. And uh, the name of my show is The Chicken Shit's Guide to Success. <laughs> Fantastic. I like So it. you can all appreciate that, you know, I really am a believer is, is that, you know, we can't blame or, or shame ourselves and bully our, ourselves uh, to get into action. That's just not how it is. It's just not helpful and it doesn't help us to do it. So, you know, hence I, I see myself as, you know, is that you can be scared you can, and you can still have success. And, mm. you know, as we were saying, you know, it's just the willingness to stick with it. It happens and it does get better. Mm. Awesome. On that note, Mary, again, thank you very much. People, if you're listening to this, you want to uh, check out the show notes page where you can also find the links to Mary's uh, show and everything, that will be socialanxietysolutions.com forward slash Mary, M-A-R-Y. Mary, again, thank you very much. My pleasure. All right. Hope you enjoyed that. Now, to help you overcome your social anxiety and get you started on your journey to social confidence, I would like to give away to you my social confidence starter kit and that consists of my 28 page ebook how to overcome social anxiety my 11 part video course social confidence now as well as my story how I overcame my social anxiety completely to get that you can go to socialanxietysolutions.com forward slash bonus when you check that out you can immediately start to release some of your social anxiety gain some emotional control and start feeling more confident all right, again, you can check that out at socialanxietysolutions.com forward slash bonus. Looking forward to connecting with you next week again. Bye for now. Bye.